Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Fox. Nothing personal. Word of the day. Friday, January 15, 2021 is Fox. Not as in the network, as in sly as a fox. Someone who's sly as a fox, it means they're exceptionally clever, shrewd, cunning. Who am I talking about? Talking about my friend and yours, Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein was in the news today. World Series winning President of Baseball Operations brought a World Series to you folks in Boston. I know you love him. Brought a World Series to you folks in Chicago. It just makes him a god. He left Chicago this offseason because Ricketts, I was going to say Don Rickles. That's where my head is this morning, Coca. Don Rickles is in my head. I don't know why. Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Chicago Cubs, was cutting payroll. Jed Hoyer was ready to take over. Jed Hoyer was his assistant. And there goes Theo. We said on this show that Theo is going to join the Mets. We also said that Theo wants to be commissioner. Theo does not appreciate those comments. And this is not me trying to give you any information because I'm not a source reporter. I don't have scoops. It's not what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you what I think. And then we find out whether or not it happens. And I give you the reason why I think the things I think. And then when I see things happen in the exact way that I would think they're going to happen, it just makes me emboldened that I'm right. But always willing to be proven wrong by Coca or by history or by future. So yesterday there was a big press release where Rob Manford announced that Theo was being hired to work inside the commissioner's office as, quote, a consultant. When you are hired as a consultant, here's how consulting companies start. There are people, and for all the consultants out there, don't start getting offended and start adding me. As a general rule, people say they have a consulting company when they are in between jobs. And they do it as a way to make sure there's no gap in their resume. So if my name were, which it is, David Phillips Sampson, and I had been let go by the Marlins and had not been hired immediately by CBS, there would have been a company called DPS Consulting. And DPS Consulting would have had a total amount of revenue of zero, a total number of clients of zero, yet I would have been able to spin a yarn to future employers that I wasn't sitting on my tuchus watching the bold and the beautiful while I was not working. In fact, I was working helping people get public financing for stadiums because you always point out the things that you've done. That's what you do when you consult, helping people get public money for stadiums, helping people get a stadium done on time and under budget, 
helping people figure out how to streamline a front office and become more efficient, helping people start a business, all the different things that I had done, that would be what the consulting job would be. And then DPS Consulting would be up and running. Often when leagues hire consultants, it is for the purpose of a specific project. So when the Blue Ribbon Report was being written, MLB back in the day had writers of the Blue Ribbon Report, Senator George Mitchell, et cetera, former president of Yale, Rick Levin. And you are hiring people to do one specific thing. When we were building the ballpark, there were consultants that were brought in by us. We needed engineering consultants. We wanted concessionaire consultants. And that's a ongoing concern where they continue to consult and go project to project. We had art consultants, by the way. Today is Tracy Specka Ventura's birthday. She started a company with Camille Specka, and they are sports in the arts. I may have the name of their company wrong, but they're the ones who worked with me and worked mostly with the owner, Jeffrey Loria, figuring out which art was going to go where in the ballpark. That's their job. And you can tell the difference when you're looking at someone's resume, whether they are being a consultant for a living for real or whether it's a resume gap stopper. So in this case, Theo's taking a job as a consultant with MLB is brilliant for myriad reasons. Let's start with the first one. Rob Manfred has a problem and he knows he does. And the problem he has is he needs to get buy-in by players and by owners on certain changes that he and the broadcast partners want to make to speed up pace of play, pace of action, we call it. Rob Manfred has another problem. He knows that going into collective bargaining that he's going to have to somehow get owners and players, the union and the teams, to understand certain gives that are going to have to happen on both sides because what he cannot have is a work stoppage, which I predicted there'll be a lockout, which is different than a work stoppage. A lockout offseason does not mean you miss games or miss a World Series the way they did in 1994. The third problem is that he knows that Theo is very likely headed to the New York Mets. He also knows that Theo has always wanted to be the commissioner of baseball. Now, all of us want to be the commissioner of baseball. Some of us are more public about it than others. Some of us whisper about it more than others. There's one thing that current commissioners do not like, and that is people who are overtly looking to become commissioners of baseball. There are stories that have been told that back in the Bud Selig days, when anyone went public or even privately intimated in just the tiniest way that he or she had aspirations to be commissioner, they were put out to pasture the way John Larroquette was sent to the Arctic Circle at the end of Stripes. Rob Manford is not the first commissioner to do this or the second, or the third, or the fourth. But when you want to be commissioner, the man who used to run MLB.com, brilliant. There was rumors going around that he may have wanted to be commissioner one day. He's no longer in baseball. What do you do 
when you've got a situation where you think that Theo may want to be commissioner, do you bring him into your office to work for a year or longer? The answer is in this case, yes, because Theo does not have anywhere near the votes or the even possibility of being the next commissioner of baseball. It's way too soon. What he does have is great experience on the competition committee. The competition committee is the committee that I was on for many years, and that is a committee that is responsible, along with the plain rules committee, to work together to change baseball hopefully for the better, but just to make sure that we are a sport that is constantly evolving. Theo has been brought in to work with the competition committee, to work with the other stakeholders in the game, to try to get consensus around certain of these rule changes. But what does it really mean? It means that he's biding his time. Why do I say Fox is my word of the day? Because in this case, Theo, a brilliant Yelly, graduate of Yale, understands that the smartest thing for him to do is to at least get exposure to every owner, which he will now get as part of a competition committee, which even when you go to owners meetings, you really don't get the type of exposure that he's now going to get. At owners meetings, we have a dinner together, serve on committees, you go to a meeting, you have a breakfast, you sit at a table, you schmooze, you talk a little bit during a break, you talk, but it's not really getting to know ownership the way he will by being inside the commissioner's office and being able to spend significant amount of time not running one team, but being in theory, excuse me for not turning my phone off in, I don't know if you heard that Coca, in which case just edit that out in theory. Wait, we have news. No, we don't. In theory, the purpose of These meetings, the purpose of Theo being in the commissioner's office is what I told you it was. But in practice, what's going to happen is he will get to know all these owners. In theory, these meetings are supposed to bring people closer, but they don't. People get in, they get out, they want to leave ownership meetings. Let me bring you a third reason why Theo is sly as a fox. Let's pretend that Theo already has a deal with Steve Cohn. Let's pretend that Steve Cohn brought in Porter and Scott, because that's who Theo wanted in. And let's pretend that Theo is going to start with the Mets in 2022. This means that Theo gets to follow up on his promise that he was going to take a year off. He's a consult. He doesn't have to be in New York. He can stay at home. He can come in for owner's meetings. He can do it all virtually because it's the time of COVID. The stress of having to be at every game, even in COVID, the GMs and President of Baseball Ops do attend every game. They are going on the road and going on the road under these COVID protocols stinks because you can't leave your room. So let's pretend that Theo knew all this, which he did. Let's pretend that he wanted to be truthful about what his plan was, which he did. This is the perfect thing for him to do because it keeps him in the game. It keeps him close to the game and it broadens his relationships, broadens his horizons. Rob Manford's not scared. It's a helpful hire. And Rob Manford may know that it's short-term anyway because he's going to be gone at the end of this year when he takes a job to run his next team. It's going to be an interesting wait to see. I said that Theo would work for a team in 2021. What date was that, Coca? In the wait-to-see document that we share because that wait-to-see was wrong. 
because he officially is not working for a team. He's officially working as TE consultants for Major League Baseball. I guess that's a no, but I will get all of my cred back in this regard if he ends up with the team in 2022. Fox, the nothing personal word of the day. How you doing up in Jacksonville? You partying? You partying like it's 1999? Urban Mayer gave a uh, an interview yesterday after he was hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And part of what he was saying is he cannot wait to bring a winner to Jacksonville because when there's winning in Jacksonville, that is the place to be. It's I don't know if that's disingenuous or just downright silly. I think it's nice when Jacksonville, if they would win a Super Bowl, I think there'd be a parade like any other city. I think there'd be excitement. But the only thing exciting in that way about Jacksonville, I guess, is spring break. I've not really known the fans in any way to have that sort of affinity that would lead Urban to say that. But what's he going to say when he just got a huge payday? Urban Mayer, the three-time, three-time college champion, once with Florida, twice with Ohio State, or maybe it's the other way around, but he coached both of those. He then was working as an analyst on a college football show, but he was following the NFL very closely, as he said. Very closely. I'm sorry, Coke, I called him Mayor, and you told me to call him Meyer. So I'm just going to call him Urban, in case I'm right and you're wrong. So we're just going to say Urban. Urban, working as a college football analyst for a a network, apparently has been studying the NFL and waiting for the perfect opportunity, and then it presented itself, and Urban is going to Jacksonville. The 1-15 in Jaguars. The Jaguars, who are this close, this tiny bit close, to going to London to play half their games pre-COVID. The Jaguars, who have gone from coach to coach, from Coughlin, to Marone, and all people in between never gotten it right. All of a sudden, Urban said, this is the perfect opportunity that would get me out of coaching. And the first thing I want to do is bring in a first-class, world-class staff to surround myself because that's how I'm successful. And I like that. I, I feel the same way. I always want to surround myself with successful people, but I want him to be at least honest with us. The reason why Urban left his job as an analyst and joined the Jaguars was because the owner of the Jaguars made him an offer that he simply could not refuse. The owner is a guy named Shad Khan, wealthy guy who has suffered a significant financial loss Just this week, he had planned on developing an entire parcel around Jaguar Stadium. He had actually had in his mind to be some sort of land baron in that area, and he did not get enough votes. He needed 13 votes in a county commission hearing, and he got 12. I guess he did not have DPS consulting working for him. He said the following. This is a good one. I think, made me laugh. And it's hard to laugh on a Friday when I'm exhausted beyond repair. Although I'll be repaired this weekend. This is a great day for Jacksonville. Okay. And Jaguars fans everywhere. Urban 
is who we want and need. A leader, a winner, and champion who demands excellence and produces results. Hey, Coca, do me a favor and check how many NFL victories Urban has. I'm almost positive it's zero, but I could be wrong. That was a side note. While Urban already enjoys a legacy in the game of football that few will ever match, his passion for the opportunity in front of him here in Jacksonville is powerful and unmistakable. I am proud to name Urban as new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's break that down a little bit and really uh, poke a few holes in the PR department that wrote that statement. Here's the goal when you hire a college coach. The Dolphins did it with Nick Saban. Anyone remember when the Dolphins hired Nick Saban? I think Nick Saban may have only won one title at that time, not three. But when he came to Miami, he was, I want to say that, uh, what's the right word for it? The savior. I don't want to really have religious underpinnings, but I can just say that uh, Nick Saban was coming to Miami as the savior, the next Shula. Finally, there would be consistency on the coaching front. Nick Saban, who has gone on to make history in Alabama, surpassing Bear Bryant in number of championships, he was horrible in Miami. He, his skills as a college recruiter, his skills as a college coach did not translate. Being a college coach does not mean you are going to be a good NFL coach. Being a good NFL coach does not mean you're going to be a good college coach. Wasn't there a guy, the coach of the Seahawks, Lewis Carroll? I believe that he went to college to coach, and I want to say it was USC, uh, Pete Carroll, excuse me, who's Lewis Carroll? Why is that in my mind? Lewis Carroll may be the writer of a children's book, but again, I don't know why I just thought of Lewis Carroll. Anyway, Pete Carroll, I believe, went to college. It did not work out, and he then came back to the NFL and went to the Seahawks. There is no correlation between being a successful NBA. By the way, this is Coca telling me I'm totally wrong. Did Pete Carroll ever coach in college? Do I have, I mean, is that part, am I so off base that he never did? I think he did, Coca. Yes, he coached at USC. Tell me more. Did he not go from pro to college to pro, or did he only go from college to pro to pro to pro? I don't think that's true. He says that he won 22 national titles. That can't be right. How could he win 22 national titles, Coca? Two, he's typing as we do this show. He won two national titles and a Super Bowl. Okay. I guess that means he's kind of historic. Um, why did he leave college coaching then, Coca? You're going to say that my take is wrong here. So let's just edit it out, and, and we'll pretend that I didn't say that Pete Carroll is anything close to Nick Saban. And we're going to say that my whole theory, that being a college coach is not in any way related to being a successful head coach. I think we should keep that in the show, but it's totally up to you. So Nick Saban comes, he doesn't save the Cowboys, the uh, Dolphins, he goes back to college. Urban Meyer, unbelievably successful in college, all of a sudden he's coming to Jacksonville and Khan, for whatever reason, is saying that that's going to translate. But here's the part that interested me the most about the statement. His passion for the opportunity in front of him is powerful and unmistakable. There is no owner who hires a coach who doesn't say the exact same thing. Why is Urban different? 
every time that Khan has named a head coach, he said the same thing. He has said that this is the perfect hire for Jacksonville. This is going to be the difference maker. I would prefer that Khan would have just said that I needed a big name and I wanted to make sure that Samson's wait to see on nothing personal didn't come true because I heard him say that I was going to bring in a coach with experience. He meant NFL experience and I showed him I brought in a coach with college experience. Do you know that back on January 3rd, and I'm going to get this right because Coca told me about this pre-show. This is now 12 days ago before Doug Maroney had been fired. He called his owner and said, hey, I'm seeing reports that you're interested in Urban Meyer. Is that true? And the owner said, that's news to me. Of course, the next day, the coach got fired. And then 10 days later, Meyer got hired. Reminds me of a story of why Mike Redman doesn't talk to me anymore. Because there were rumors of someone coming in to replace him and it was denied to him and those rumors turned out to be true. The reason why it was denied to him is that I had no specific knowledge that there was gonna be a requirement of that specific hiring. But at the end of the day, I learned a very valuable lesson, which is never tell a coach or manager that the rumored replacement is not true when you know very well that's going to be the rumored replacement. Khan, as an owner, could have not conned Doug, the former coach of the Jaguars, and just said, listen, I'm very sorry that you had to read about it. That is today's social media world, and the leaks are horrific. But yes, we're going to make a change. That would have been the better way to go. Be a man about it. What do I think is going to happen with Urban? I think that he's set up to fail. He's claiming the best way to succeed is to take all the draft picks they have this year. I think they, I want to say they have 11 draft, draft picks in 2021, but it's Friday. So the odds are that I'm completely wrong about that as well. But they have a huge, they have the number one pick. I think they have a ton of picks overall in the draft. And he's got the money to bring in coaches around him. They've, they have the ability to build the difference is that in successful in college means you're good at recruiting. You keep players for a short period of time, and then they go along their way. I don't think that Urban Meyer will bring a Super Bowl to Jacksonville because even with the 11 picks they have and four picks out of the top 45, they have not proven with their front office that they are going to be able to run the team in a way from ownership on down that leads to success. I guess we'll just have to wait to see. I don't think we'll do an official wait to see on this Coca. Remember the January 5th, 2021 wait to see is that the Jaguars will hire a first time coach. I should have said just a first time coach because then I would have been yes. But the truth is I said a first time NFL coach. And you know that I'll revisit wait to sees and when they're wrong, I'll tell you they're wrong and I was wrong. I did not think they'd go to college, but they did. My wait to see for today goes back to the word of the day with Fox. Theo is not at the commissioner's office long-term. It's not happening. Wait to see. Theo is not done working for a team. So we're going to change our Theo wait to see because we lost the 2021 and we're going to bring it back. And we're going to say Theo is not done working for a team, even though 
TE Consulting is now working for MLB. Okay, we're going to finish this week strong with a review of an old Cone Brothers movie. There was a Cone Brothers movie that I had never seen starring one of my favorite actors. I have no idea how I missed it. I came across it at the suggestion of mom. Above all, I love all your suggestions, by the way. And I'm actually not just talking to my mom because I do love hers. But all of you listeners and viewers, thank you for downloading, subscribing, nothing personal. It has been a great January so far. Thank you for enjoying the Pablo Torre Sampson sit down, please. You will find that we released it last night and we had fun with that. I think you will too. And for subscribing on the YouTube channel. I love when you tell me movies to watch and TV series. The list is long. And lest you think that I don't actually pay attention, I have a note on my phone and I write down when someone told me to watch Promising Young Women. Someone said, watch Call My Agent, Bully, Little Things, News of the World, Barton Fink, The Great, My Octopus Teacher. I've got a list the size of my phone of stuff I'm going to watch. So I watched The Lady Killers. We're going to review it. And I promise you, it can't be a show this week without talking about Mr. Tillman. Fertitta. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text Hope NY. That's 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you very much for being here. We're going to review a movie called The Lady Killers, start with Tom Hanks. It's a Coen Brothers movie about a heist. It's a heist movie for all intents and purposes. The characters are perfect Cone characters, starting with George Wallace as a sheriff. You've got J.K. Simmons, the Academy Award winning J.K. Simmons, as a member of Tom Hanks's team. You've got Marlon Wayans who is phenomenal as a member of Tom Hanks' team. Steven Root is in the movie. You may know him because he's the man in the High Castle, among other things. Irma Hall got a ton of attention for the role she played 
and her role is actually the most significant in the movie. Phenomenal, phenomenal actress. Lady Killers is basically about Tom Hanks trying to rob a bank. And the way to rob a bank is he has to pretend he's in a band. And while he's in a band, he's got to dig a tunnel to the bank, get the money, while the woman he's renting a room from has no idea that he is building a tunnel, robbing a bank, or doing anything other than playing a musical instrument. It is spectacular. Tom Hanks has an accent that makes him hard to understand a tiny bit. But I must say that if you are looking for a movie and you love the Coen brothers, which I hope you do, watch The Lady Killers. It's from 2004, 2005. Thank you. Okay, Coca, how are we going to work Tillman for Tita into the show for a third day in a row? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. I didn't even have to work it into the show, Coca. It came as a question. So you want to talk to Samson? Get in my Twitter, David P. Samson. Hit follow. For whatever reason, CBS is demanding that I'm at 20,000 followers. And I'm at only, I think, 17.6 or something. So I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's going to tweet, hey, get me to 20. I'm just saying, for whatever reason, they have that in their head. I think it's like a magic number when it comes to certain amount of, of money they can charge or certain amount of clicks or, or bots or something. And I'm not going to buy followers, which, by the way, has been suggested to me. Do you know that people on Twitter can buy followers? Like, you can go to the store and buy 50,000 followers, and all of a sudden you seem popular, but you don't get engagement because they're all not real people. They're just bots, and what fun is that? The fun I have on Twitter is talking back and forth to people, and what would be the fun of just sort of caressing my ego by having a bigger number, but it's not real? That's sort of like wearing a toupee. Like, who are you fooling? Maybe it makes you feel better. So maybe it feels better just to have 50 or 100 or 300,000 followers. Ah, we're going to build it real one at a time. So you want to talk to Samson. Did you ever reject a trade out of spite, knowing that it was a good trade for your team? Ooh, 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 ooh. This is a good one. This question was asked because word came out yesterday that Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Houston Rockets, had a trade presented to him to trade James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers for a collection of picks players, including Ben Simmons. And Fertitta said, nope, I forbid you to trade James Harden to the Philadelphia 76ers. Forbid you. You're not allowed. Not going to happen. Now, speculation is that's because he didn't want Daryl Morey to get James Harden that he's still pissed at Daryl Morey for what he did Ray China. So the question you have is, have I ever done that? And the answer is no. But I've had the opportunity, and I want to tell you how those opportunities come and why owners do do that. There used to be a rule in baseball. It was a very simple rule. You do not trade within your division, period. First got into the game in the NL East with the Montreal Expos. And so 
I just assumed that that meant that there would never be a trade with the Mets or the Marlins or the Phillies or the Braves. That's just how it was going to be. You had 25 other teams to deal with. You do not want to help your division while hurting yourself. Now, of course, the strange part about that is that is automatically assuming that you are losing every trade you make. My philosophy always was, I want to trade within my division because I know exactly who we're trading and why we're trading. Therefore, I know that we're winning the trade, even if it's addition by subtraction. Even if we're trading away money and forced to trade away money, it's addition by subtraction. So I am thinking in an egomaniacal way that every trade is going to be a good trade, even though I learned as my 18 years went on that that doesn't happen. You don't win every trade. You do get it wrong often, but that's the rule. You don't trade within your division. Over time, that rule changed, but in 2005, that rule was still pretty much in effect. And we had a trade, Carlos Delgado and everybody else on the team because we were starting over having not been able to repeat the 03 World Series Championship as much as we tried in 04 and then in 05. We just couldn't do it. We didn't win, so we decided to rebuild. And we rebuilt by trading Beckett and trading Lowell and trading Delgado and trading everybody, really. Conine, unfortunately, I'm sorry, Nutter. Carlos Delgado had been signed to a free agent deal. He was in the first year of that deal. We signed him with the Marlins. We signed him to a very creative backloaded deal. It had a points system in it for getting MVP votes, et cetera. I actually still have a copy of the exact deal we signed with Delgado because there really had not been a deal like that before that had this sort of point system. But we had to trade him. And we could not find a team to take his money except the New York Mets. The Mets needed a first baseman, and they were willing to take on Delgado. And I was negotiating with Jeff Wilpon, and Jeff Wilpon was going to take on the contract, but he wanted us to pay a little bit of it, but it was more... Uh, it was less money that we would have to pay than in any other deal. And certainly releasing Delgado wouldn't have worked because then you have to pay him the rest of his deal. So presenting the contract to the owner, the question was, is this a contract? Is this the only trade you can do? And he thought that way because he didn't want Delgado going to the Mets because in that situation, Delgado was still a very productive player. We were making the Mets stronger. So the general rule is when you've got to move money, you try to move that player outside of your division. If you have to move him in your division, you swallow hard and do it. If you are making a regular trade that is not money-based, where you're forced to cut payroll, then you can trade within your division because you've got to assume that your baseball guys are making the better trade and getting the better side of it. There has never been a time when our owner ever said, you will not trade this player to that team because he's in our division or because I am angry or I don't like that owner or because I'm angry and don't like that GM or because I want to hurt that player because he didn't perform for us. That's fantasy land. 
that doesn't actually happen. What kind of ridiculous owner would purposefully tank his team in a trade because he's got a personal gripe with a member of that other team's front office? If it's true what they're saying about Fertitta and that he had his team take a worse deal, then that should be all you need to know about why the Rockets are ringless since Elijah won. Now, for people who watch nothing personal every day and listen every day, you're saying to yourself, you, you're totally hypocritical. It can't be. You said that if you had a situation like James Harden, you would sit his ass on the bench and you wouldn't give him his trade because of the way he exercised his power over you, even if it meant that your team would be worse off. That means, David, that you are hypocritical because you are spiteful, that you will spite the success of your team and hurt your fans. And I say to you, it's a totally different scenario. Give me an apple, Coca, on screen, like a picture of an apple, and then give me an orange. Apples, oranges. Me explaining to James Harden and then having that lesson learned by every future and current player on our team that you will not hold me hostage. That's not spite. That's not hypocritical, hypocritical activity or action. That is smart management and ownership. Compare that to being offered a trade where you have a chance to make your team better in the long run after you've already decided that you're going to trade them, after you have jumped the plank and jumped the shark and said, you win James Harden checkmate, you then have to do the best possible trade you can do. It's not as though you are choosing between trading your player to the outpost in the NBA, a team that no one wants to play for in a city no one wants to be in. You're choosing two great teams in the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia or New New Jersey or Brooklyn. You make the best deal possible, period. I'm moving on, Coca. Nothing personal pick of the day. I thank you for asking that question. So I guess I wasn't moving on. Thank you. I love all these. So you want to talk to Sam's questions. Nothing personal pick of the day. Everyone stay calm. We didn't lose last night. We are three and eight. We had great picks. We had the Packers Rams under, and that was a winner. We had the Bills minus two and a half over the Ravens, and the Bills won by two and a half. That was a push. Let's go on to today's picks of the game. We've got two games on Sunday to watch. The first one is the Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored by 10 over the Cleveland Browns. We won big last weekend taking the Browns over the Steelers. In my opinion, the Browns are a way better team than the Steelers. They should have been favored. The Steelers are an absolute disaster. They are so much closer to the one and five team than they are to the 11 and no team. The Chiefs are giving 10. The Chiefs are a better team. The Browns' run ends, but it was still successful, having made the playoffs for the first time since 2002. 
Patrick Mahomes has a date with Josh Allen in the AFC Championship. Just you wait. Chiefs minus 10 over the Browns. The second game Sunday is an impossible game to pick. It is Tom Brady against Drew Brees. It is the Buccaneers against the Saints. I'm taking the points. And I've been against the Buccaneers all season. And it has been me saying that Tom Brady is 43 and not capable the way he once was. The fact of the matter is Tom Brady has the fountain of youth and it doesn't come out of a Botox needle. The fact of the matter is the Buccaneers have a good team on the defensive side. They have a good team on the offensive side, even in addition to Thomas Aquinas Brady. The Saints are deep and strong as well. This is a great game. We're taking the points. The reason why we're taking the points is I believe there is something about Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field in the NFC Championship game on Championship Sunday, January 24th. Chiefs, Bucks. Let's rewind for the four picks of the weekend when you're watching divisional playoffs all weekend, which we will. I'm sort of sad it's only a doubleheader both days now that we had the wildcard tripleheader weekends that excited me. But here we go. Packers, Rams under, Bills minus two and a half over the Ravens, Chiefs minus 10 over the Browns, Bucks plus three over the Saints. Wait to see. Okay, as we finish up on Friday, there are some moves that are being made in baseball. There's a lot of talk right now because spring training is supposed to open on uh, February 17th. Coco, what I'm doing right now. All right, I don't know if you can see my my studio here, but I've got pieces of paper um, everywhere because I take notes. And so the pads I have, I'm showing you on camera, a blank nothing personal pad. I've got a blank Sparky's plug pad. By the way, Sparky's plug, um, that was uh, a sort of a consultant company, Sparky's plug LLC. That's funny. And uh, they're empty. What I used to have written down is something that Coca told me that I needed to say. And I told Coca that I had to do this read and that I would keep it. And here it is, Coca. I've got it. I didn't rip it up. Okay. MLB free agency. There is some activity. The Mets are looking at signing Brad Hand. Brad Hand is a player who we had with the Marlins. We absolutely shit the bet on this one. He turned out to be one of the great closers, and we had him as a failed fifth starter or a swing guy in the bullpen. It just didn't work for us, but he has worked for Cleveland. Cleveland let him go because they didn't want to pay him $10 million, pick up his option. Nobody claimed him on waivers. Now the Mets are going to sign him. If the Mets sign him for more than $10 million, that will be interesting to me because they could have had him for that $10 million if they had just claimed him on waivers. But at the time, the ownership change may not have happened. The Mets continue to bolster their bullpen, having signed Familia, Batonsis, and all the other guys they've signed, at, traded for Edwin Diaz. Ironically, new owners always believe you've got to shore up the bullpen because what new owners always say is, oh my God, I remember every save we blew. I was watching the Mets last year as a limited partner, Steve said to himself, and I remember all the nightmares that surrounded our bullpen. Make it better. 
what Sandy Alderson and Theo's guys are not telling Steve is that whatever bullpen we put together during the offseason, we guarantee you we're going to need to trade for more bullpen help at the deadline if we're in it. And we're going to need to have our starters be in the bullpen during the postseason like every other team does. So spending our money on bullpen arms the way you have may turn out to be a waste. Secondly, word is coming out that DJ LeMahieu is going to sign with the Yankees. We've got a baseball insider at CBS Sports HQ. His name is Jim Bowden. If you don't know him, check him out. He's claiming that DJ LeMahieu is definitely getting a deal for more than four years, which would piss me off. Why would the Yankees have given in? LeMahieu has waited and waited for five-plus years. And the Yankees have said, we will only give you four. We did a wait to see. One, that LeMahieu would go back to the Yankees. That's going to be a yes. Two, that LeMahieu will only get four years only. The fact that he's getting four years is beyond comprehension. The Yankees somehow, for whatever reason, got nervous. If it's true what Bowden is saying, and that LeMahieu gets five or six years, that means that the Yankees caved and that the Yankees realized that the pressure that Luke Voigt and others have put on the team, Luke Voigt saying, we got to bring Mayhew back, like Harper saying that about JT Relamuto, by the way. The pressure that we feel, given what the Mets are doing, we cannot lose LeMahieu. We cannot lose our spot as the team in New York. If that made them cave they will live to regret this contract because it's too long. LeMahieu will not have seven or more years of production. He's already had two. It's not going to be five more. Now, the AAV could be lower than what they wanted. Let's see what the total amount of money given to LeMahieu is. If he gets $80 million over five, I'm going to be fine with that. $80 million over six, I'm going to be fine with that. But if he gets 20 a year for five years and ends up getting his $100 million five-year deal, that will be nothing short of an overpay. And I would know. I'm like the prince of overpay. Other people building their bullpens, other people signing free agents. You may hear from us during the weekend, may do a bonus pot if Springer signs. The Blue Jays need somebody. The Mets still need a center fielder. If they're really going to compete, Springer's going to sign. Real Muto is going to sign. Spring training starting. We heard it from the commissioner and all of his consultants. It's starting in a month. Players got to get rolling. Teams got to get rolling. That's it. That's it for the show, Coca. I don't want to do anymore. Just remember, guys, it's business. <laughs> I can't even do it. I can't dismount. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 